Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Sweetenberger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Sweetenberger for this week's message from Story Point Church. What a great day it is to gather together to honor God through music, through studying His Word together, to be part of the family of God and act like a family. So I, my name is Brent. I'm filling in for Pastor Jeff, who's on sabbatical right now. So I'll be doing the majority of preaching while he's out. Thrilled to be able to do that and spend some time with you. So I started thinking and praying about this very 14-week process a number of months ago. And I heard two distinct things from God over the course of several months. One was the word foundation. And how important it is for us to have a firm foundation of who He is, direction, insight, guidance, these type of things. And the other thing that I heard very, very clearly, probably about six, eight weeks ago, was the idea of going through a process, studying the holiness of God. And so for the next 14 weeks, we have one theme, the holiness of God. We've got a bunch of different verses that we're going to be looking at and dealing with, but I think that is the foundational aspect that God really wants us to focus on for a good bit of time. And why is that? Well, maybe there's a struggle. Maybe there's an angst. Maybe there's an issue with us grasping and truly understanding the holiness of God. Because if we were to grasp and walk in the fullness and understand the holiness of God, that affects our day in, day out thought process. That decides and helps guide the direction that we go as a church, as individuals. This helps us with life decisions. So much of life, if not everything in life, truly is a holiness issue. And so I want us to think and process and pray through holiness. So for the next 14 weeks, we have one theme verse. Now, our live and share verse is going to change every single week, but this is going to be the foundational verse for the next 14 weeks. Can we go ahead and pull that on the screen? This is our live and share. It's found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. Is it in here? There it is. Let's read this out loud together. Give the following instructions. That's out loud together, not just me. Ready? One, two, three. Give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. We're going to say that over and over and over throughout the message today. But that truly is a foundational verse found back in the Old Testament, ties into the New Testament, and ties into us today. This idea of being holy because God is holy. So before we actually jump into this, and you can just leave that up. Just leave that up the whole time because we're going to make reference to that if that's okay. The holiness of God. Before we jump into the holiness of God, I need to give you a little bit of a history. And then we're going to do a, a few definitions to jump in. First of all, about two years ago, back in August of 2017, I started a, ser- a series with the teenagers on Wednesday nights called The Names of God. And so we've been studying literally for over two years, right at two years now, these names of God that we find in the Old Testament. Over and over and over and all throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, we see these names of God, these attributes of God, these descriptions that God gives us to describe the essence of who He is. 
But then we have language issues. And so we've got translations based on Old Testament and New Testament languages. And we try to put language in a way that everybody can group it and understand it. And so for the vast majority of us in here, we use the NIV or the NASB or a few other different translations. Most of the time we preach from the NIV translation of the Bible. And if you look at the names of God in the Old Testament, in the NIV, you're going to find two basic words to describe God in heaven. God our Father. It's the name Lord, L-O-R-D, and the word God, G-O-D. Now, in the way that we use language, that's somewhat become generic. So everything is Lord, everything is God. We say our blessing in the na- in, to, to God in heaven and God and Lord are the words that we use to describe all these different names of God. But the problem arises, arose in my heart as I started researching this and studying this. And you have to understand, I've been at church nine months since I was born. I've been going to church my entire life. And at that point, two years ago, I'd never done or been a part of a serious study dealing with the names of God. Been in church my entire life, went to the University of Mobile, went through Bible classes, all these different things, and never had this really depth of understanding the names of God. And so I started this process because I felt like that's what God wanted me to do as an individual. And what you find most of the time with preachers and teachers is that they're teaching and preaching what God's teaching and preaching to them on the inside. So I started teaching this to the teenagers a couple of years ago, and it's been beautiful. And this has become a part of of our very DNA, of the language that we use week in and week out in youth ministry. We start saying these names of God. We'll actually look at the original translate or different translations that have the original names of God listed and we'll compare uh, the different translations and look at the names of God to help us grasp the enormity of who God is. Because if we simply call God Lord or call God God, then we kind of lose some of that oomph that is who He is. And so one of the words, one of the first words we talked about was the word Yahweh. And I want to give you a little bit of a history on the word Yahweh, and then we're going to kind of show what that actually looks like on the screen here in just a minute. So Yahweh, Yahweh is a word that we first find, we find it in the Old Testament, but we hear it when Moses is talking with God in the burning bush. So God is having this conversation with Moses, and Moses says, Well, God, I don't know uh, what's going on here. I know you want me to go and tell the people, but the people are going to ask me, Who is it that's sending me? Who should you say, who should I say is sending me? And God says, I am that I am is sending you. Tell the people of Israel that I am is the one that sent you. And we stop right there at the end of verse 14, and we don't read verse 15 when he actually gives his actual name. So we see through that that he gives us the name Yahweh. And the name Yahweh is a name that we have taken the four letters, the four consonants of God's name, Y-H-V-H. And we took those four, and then through the course of years, of 3,000 plus years, we've lost the translation, or we've lost the uh, pronunciation of the name Yahweh. So you've got this name Yahweh that God gave Abraham. Let me read this scripture to you, because this is absolutely fascinating. You see... In Exodus chapter 3, if you want to turn there really quick, Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible, third chapter, verse 13, 14 areas where I'm going to start, verse 13. Let me read this to you. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am sent me to you. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Now, it was not the name Lord. It is the name Yahweh. We translate it for your Lord. And he says, the name Yahweh is the name that I will be called, I will be remembered, you are to pronunciate, you are supposed to say for generation to generation until the end of time as we know it. So these are what the Moses was given this instruction by God over 3,000 years ago. But something happened over the course of history, around the time of Jesus or a little bit after the Jewish people started looking at this name, and even before Jesus, and they, would, they, would, they stopped pronunciating the name of Jesus, or the name of Yahweh, because it was so holy. They said, we can't even pronounce this. This is such a holy name. Out of respect, out of honor for God, our Father, we will not even say out loud this name, Yahweh. And that became reserved only for the priest when they're praying the priestly blessings found in Numbers over the congregation. Were they allowed to say the name Yahweh? The priestly blessing is the blessing we find in Numbers where it says the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So this is the priestly blessing that God gave to the priest to say, proclaim this as a blessing over my people using my name Yahweh. And so they started using the name Yahweh to proclaim that. But then over the course of time, they said this is too holy to even use this name anymore. We're going to substitute it. We're going to start using the word Adonai, which means master of all. So you can even look at Jewish writing today. If you read scholarly material or you read books by people that are Orthodox or Messianic Jews, many times, if not every single time, when you see the word God, it's capital G hyphen lowercase d. They will not even write out the word G-O-D because it will disrespect in their minds and their heart God our Father Almighty. And so something happened during that process where they stopped even saying the name Yahweh. And then, over the course of history, they stopped writing the name. They didn't stop writing it completely, but they took out the vowels. And so somewhere around 2,000, 1,500 years ago, there was actually a progress where the writing, if you look at writings before that time period, had the entire name of God written out in Hebrew with the consonants and the vowels. But it's not long after that. They stopped taking, they took the vowels away. So they just had those four letters that we try and translate H V uh, um, Y H V H. And they took out the vowels. That's why we call it Yahweh, because we took the vowels from Adonai, plugged it into Yahweh, and we called it Yahweh as his name. But the, the actual pronunciation was lost for so many years ago. Well, I, I read a book about a year ago by, the, by a guy by the name of Nehemiah Gordon. And Nehemiah. Uh, has several degrees from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Very, very intellectual man. Very smart man. He actually did some of the translating for the Dead Sea Scrolls. He's a, he studies ancient scripts and, and does interpretation. Brilliant, brilliant mind. And I want to read what he wrote about the conversation that God had with Moses. Let me read this to you. It's from his book called Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence. 
When God said at the burning bush, I am that I am, he was explaining the significance of his own name. The Hebrew word I am is Eya, E-H-Y-E-H. Now, I can't pronounce Hebrew, but that's the best that I can do on that. The ancient word I am is Eya, derived from the Hebrew root word meaning to be. Okay, I am that I am to be. In biblical Hebrew, I am really means something like I exist. By saying, I am that I am, God is declaring that He is the one who is, the one who really exists. He is different from the other gods who only exist in the imagination of men. God's name, Yahweh, derives from the exact same Hebrew word as I am. Strictly speaking, this name is a combination of three forms of that same Hebrew root, root word, Aya. These three words mean respectively, He was, He is, and He will be. When we call Him by His name, we are essentially saying He has always existed, He exists now, and He will always continue to exist. God says, I am about himself, but we are to call him Yahweh, meaning he was, he is, and he will be. What all this means is that I am is not God's name, it is the explanation of his name. He even goes on in this book as he starts looking at some of these manuscripts that are over 2,000 years old, some of these original writings, these original uh, manuscripts of the Old Testament. He actually has found the vowels being written. And they translate as Yehovah, very similar to Jehovah. So let's go ahead. Yeho uh, Yahweh, as you see right there, do you have the, the Yehovah written on there also? The other writing? Okay. Um, he was, he is, and he will be. So that's the definition I want us to look at and think about. So when you hear me say Yahweh or Yehovah, what we're actually saying is he was, he is, and he will be. The other word that I want you to grasp as we continue to look at Leviticus chapter 2 is the word Elohim. Can you say Elohim? Elohim. Elohim literally translates as God, but it also has another meaning. It means the strong one. The strong one. Go ahead and put that one up there. Elohim, there it is on this one. Elohim is the strong one. So we got Yahweh, Yehovah, he was, he is, and he will be, and Elohim, the strong one. Now I want us to go back and look at Leviticus chapter 2. Actually, before we do that, I want to go back and read Exodus 3, 14, 15, and 16 for you out of the Names of God version of the Bible that has Elohim and has Yehovah actually written here. So verse 14 says, Elohim, the strong one. Elohim answered Moses, Eyah who Eyah. So remember, Moses has just asked, who is it that I shall send you? In our translation it says, I am that I, I am. Elohim, the strong one, says, Eyah who Eyah. That is to say, what you, what you must say to the people of Israel. Ayah has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. Again, Elohim said to Moses, this is what you are to say to the people of Israel. Yehovah Elohim of your ancestors. He who was, he who is, and he will be. Yahweh the strong one of your ancestors. The Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my title through all 
generations. How ironic that after 2,000 years of not speaking the name, this is the time when researchers are starting to look at manuscripts 2,000 years old to actually look at the correct original pronunciation of the name of our Father in heaven that he gave to Moses at the burning bush, that he gave to us to say from generation to generation to generation, this will be my name. And we actually have the opportunity in 2019 to speak his name out loud. Yehovah. Oh, my word. Can, can you imagine our timeline in history? This is not an accident. There's something significantly moving in the hearts of the people around the world for the cause of Christ, for the Christ followers, where God, after a break of 2,000 years, has given us the opportunity to hear His name. A hundred years ago, they didn't know. They called Him Yahweh or Jehovah, which are not wrong. That's what our, 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 our language has, has veered it toward. But here we are in the year 2019, and out loud we can say, Yehovah, Yehovah bless you and keep you. Yehovah make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yehovah turn his face towards you and give you peace. This is the God that we serve, and we get to walk that out and live that out. Now, let's look again at Leviticus chapter 2. I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 19. Can you pull that back up for me? So I'm going to focus just on the second part, okay? So anywhere in Leviticus chapter 19 that you see the word Lord, in the original language, it's Yehovah, Yahweh, Yehovah, okay? Anytime you see the word God in this particular chapter, it's not true universal throughout the Bible, but in this particular chapter, you see the word God, it's Elohim, okay? So Yehovah and Elohim. You must be holy because I your Yahweh, Yehovah, your Elohim, am holy. Wow, the significance of that. It's not just the Lord our God is holy, but it's He who was, He who is, and He who will be. Our Elohim, our strong one, is holy. Now that right there is enough to talk about for days and days and days to come. But you just look at this. Is anybody blown away by this command that we're given in Leviticus chapter 19? To be holy as God is holy? Is that even achievable? Is that something that we can aspire to? What do we do with verses like this in the Scripture where God Himself gives us command and says, Be holy as I am holy. Because I want you to grasp this for a second. This is not a suggestion. This is not a request. This is not something that we get to choose. I am going to do this or I'm not going to do this. This is actually a command by God Himself. God said to you, this is a requirement for you. Be holy as I am holy. Be holy because I, Yahweh, Yehovah, your Elohim, am holy. Okay, well, let's take a minute and define holy, what it means to be holy. If that is a command that God's given us, and this is part of our foundation, is this idea of holiness. Let's take a look at what holiness means. The definition of holy is exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Now, I think we could all look at that definition and easily say that definitely applies to God, doesn't it? That's a God definition right there. Exalted, worthy of complete devotion. That's our, that's our God. That's our Father. 
Perfect in goodness, that's our Father. Perfect in righteousness, that's our Father. But wait a second, that's supposed to be a definition of me as one perfect in goodness and righteousness? Wait a minute, uh, that's not achievable. I'm a broken, messed up, sinful individual. I make mistakes. I can't live that definition, yet God gave us this definition to live. And so there's that tug of war. There's that, there's that fleshing out of what this actually means. How on earth can I live a holy, pure type of lifestyle like this definition as God when I live in a broken, sinful, messed up world, when I'm a broken, sinful, messed up person? How do I balance those two? Because again, this isn't a suggestion. He's not saying I suggest that you live holy. I want you to live holy. I desire for you to live holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. And so we have this command, we have this, this direction from God to be as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. And so what do we say? We use those excuses, don't we? I'm only human. I make mistakes. I live in a broken, sinful, messed up world. How can I do this? I can't really, I can't really do it. And so we spiritualize it and we say, well, you know something, even Paul back in the, up in the New Testament somewhere said, uh, that nobody's righteous, doesn't he? And he says there's no one righteous, no, not one. I, I've heard that so many times as an excuse, as a covering up, as, as spiritualizing our mistakes in life. Guys, we spend so much of our life because of our culture spiritualizing the mistakes that we make in life, saying, well, I'm just messed up. Well, I can ask for forgiveness. Well, I don't, you know, it is who I am. Uh, it's the way God made me. We, we spiritualize all these mistakes, all these shortcomings that we have, instead of aspiring, desiring, walking in purity and holiness. Now, let me tell you something about myself for just a moment. One of my daily prayers that I've been praying for several years now, not every single day, but almost every single day, is a prayer that's based out of two different psalms that David offered up to God. And it's a combination where David said, give me clean hands, give me a pure heart, and give me a resolute spirit. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today because we're actually going to talk about that in some future weeks to come. But this idea of living a lifestyle where, God, I acknowledge that I need to be purified. I need clean hands. I need a pure heart. I need my spirit and your spirit to link together, to walk hand in hand. But we look at this idea of holiness and we say, well, there's no way that I can do that. Why do we believe that? Why do we believe the lies of the evil one when he tells us there is no way that you can live holy? Who lives within you as a Christ follower? Who? The what spirit? What? Holy. As part of his definition of the spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit that is holy dwells within me as a Christ follower. So when you say yes to Jesus... You're given a gift. You're given several gifts. One of the gifts is life everlasting. But see, you don't get life everlasting until life as we know it disappears. And then you get life everlasting, right? Our fleshly tent goes away, and then we walk into the fullness and wholeness of who God's created us to be forever and ever and ever. And we look at the Holy Spirit as, according to Scripture, the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And he is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, life everlasting. But guess what? What is to come is also in five minutes from now. And it's in one second from now. And it's next week and next year and then on and on and on until the end of our lives. 
And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so God gives us a gift of holiness that we are called to have be resolute with, be one with, and walk in pureness and holiness and reverence as our God in heaven is. That is our command. The people this does not work for are the ones who do not have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them. If you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you, and as a Christ follower, you do, if you have said yes to Jesus and you have the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, you can live a lifestyle of holiness and purity and being resolute with Him. You can do it. I did not say in that sentence that you can live a sinless life. We can debate that on the side. That can be a debate, debatable topic later. But, but sinless life has nothing to do with holiness. It's not talking about I occasionally make a mistake because of a slip of a tongue because I do something I shouldn't do because I don't think that this is the day the Lord has made and I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. That this is the day the Lord has made and I choose to walk in holiness today. I choose to walk in perfection today. It's a choice. It's a moment-by-moment choice. Holiness is a choice every single breath that we breathe. We can wake up in the morning and choose today is the day the Lord has made and I will not rejoice and be glad in. I will not submit to his direction, calling, guiding in my heart and life. I will not listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. We have that choice. That's part of the freedom that we've given us. Now, hopefully, when we make choices like that, which we usually would not verbalize outside, out, out, out loud, but in our hearts and our minds, we do kind of wrestle with that. And the Holy Spirit of God kind of convicts us of that. It's part of his job, right? He says, no, that's not holiness. No, that's not purity. No, those are not pure thoughts, pure action, pure direction. He challenges us. He, he stretches us. So when we submit and we ask to be purified, when we submit and we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and in filling, not, not, not asking for the Holy Spirit of God to come dwell with us because he's, he's with us, but ask for more of him in that moment, day by day, thought by thought, moment by moment, choice. God, I want more of you. God, I want more of you. God, I want more of you. When we live that type of lifestyle, that's living the lifestyle of holiness, perfect in goodness and righteousness. But then you've got the scriptures like Paul, that there are no righteous, no, not one. Well, let's look at that for just a moment. Because the command here is to be. The command here is to be holy. Right? Do, do we acknowledge that? Can we pull that scripture back on the screen one more time, Jesse? You must be. See, the be is the key word right there. It's not a might. It's not a suggestion. It's not an aspiration. It is a command to be. Okay? Be holy. Because I'm the Lord your God, I'm holy. So let's take a look here at Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 for just a moment. Because here we see the example, that famous scripture that so many times is taken out of context. And we read these three verses and say, I am who I am. I made another mistake. I can do what I want because I can live a sinful life. I can do whatever I want because no one's righteous, no, not one. See, the problem with taking any particular scripture, one verse, two verse, three verses, and reading those three verses by themselves, we can infer, we can direct, we can uh, imagine it to mean anything that we want to based on our situation and our spiritualization. See, we cannot look at Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12 without looking at the entire book of Romans. We have to look at it all, right? And then I cannot look at the entire book of Romans without looking at the entire New Testament. And I cannot look at the entire New Testament without looking at the Old Testament and how it all sinks in together. 
The holiness river, the holiness thread weaves all the way from Genesis to Revelation. The holiness of God and our calling directing to be holy as God is holy. So we look at Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 12 as it is written. Well, let me, let me stop right there for a second and remind you about something about Paul. So you got Paul the apostle. He used to be named Saul. God changed his name to Paul. I believe with all my heart that Paul was a brilliant man. Absolutely brilliant. Probably IQ off the charts. Very, very intellectual, very, very smart, as well as a down-to-earth type of guy. Now, understanding Jewish culture and what he would have to go through to get to the point in his life where he would be considered the Pharisee of Pharisees, meaning he was the most religious, he was the most devout, he was the most passionate Pharisee around. He compared himself, said, you compare me to any other Pharisee out there, and I'm three steps above them. I'm three steps beyond them. I am the Pharisee of Pharisees, which meant in his history as a child, he memorized the entire Old Testament. The entire Old Testament completely memorized. And beyond that, there was other rules and regulations. The Pharisees had many other books. They had the Talmud. They had the book of all the other extra laws that had to be in place. This was a brilliant man who had memorized all of the Old Testament scripture and all of the extra biblical books as well. Very, very smart man. And so from his memory, he looks at three different verses in the Old Testament. From Psalms 14, Psalms 53, and Ecclesiastes 7. And he takes these three scripture verses and combines them into this one little segment that I'm about to read here in chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. All right, stop right there, right? There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So we stop right there and we look at just those three verses and we say, well, I am who I am. But again, when we take it out of the context, this is not an excuse. This is not grounds for an excuse for immorality. This is not grounds for an excuse for spiritualizing things that don't need to be spiritualized, for living a lifestyle that we should not be living, for living in sin, for living in disobedience, for not being holy. This is not an excuse for that. There is no excuse because the command is to be holy. Then why would he write this? Why would he sum up these three verses? Great question. Well, he continues. Remember I talked to you about context? Let's look down just a few verses to verse 19. What does he say in verse 19? Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Who's under the law? What's the purpose of the law? How do we view the law today? Law is law. It's right and wrong. But it's the way that we view it. And who is it for? It's for all of us. But the law is not a do and don't checklist for us. Look what he says in verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. You will not, none of us, ever throughout the history of the world will be found in right standing with God based on the law. Zero. 
Now, this is a guy, again, brilliant man who knew the law upside down, probably would have been an incredible debater, probably would have been an incredible lawyer. He knew the law, and he acknowledges right here that by the works of the law, you will never, ever be declared righteous. There are none righteous, no, not one, based on the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see, that's the essence of why law is given. That's the, that's the reason for Leviticus chapter 19. If you go through the entire scripture, if you, if you grew up in church, I, was, I told you this earlier, I grew up in church, I've been in church my whole life, and I could have told you, snap of a finger, which book of the Bible is all about law? It's Leviticus. You don't have a ton of sermons about the book of Leviticus because it's law, 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 law. But the law shows us our inadequacies. Our law shows us what our sin is. Our law shows us how, fail, how far we have to be in comparison to God and the holiness of God. So through, through all this, we actively pursue holiness. It's a pursuit. It's a choice. It's intentionality. Holiness is something that I have to choose every single day. I have to choose to follow in holiness. I have to choose to pursue God. I have to choose to walk in Holiness. To be conscious of our sin. So we look at the law as, as a checklist. So let's look at the law for just a moment. Leviticus chapter 19. So if you go back to Leviticus chapter 18, that entire chapter is about sexuality sins. And then you look at verse uh, chapter 20, it's all about child sacrifices. And the immorality of that. There were people in that culture who sacrificed living infants, living children to a metal god burning seared heat called Molech. And they would literally kill the children, burn them alive. And right here in the middle of this is Leviticus chapter 19, which begins by saying, Be holy because I, Yehovah your Elohim, Elohim am holy. And then he gives a bunch more laws, all summed up in that. So what's the purpose of all these laws? Yes, it's to convict us of sin. Yes, it's to show us our shortcomings. Yes, it's to help us focus on who God is and his calling and direction. Yes, it's to, it's to draw closer to God, but there's more to it than that. There's really three reasons that God gives us all these Levitical laws and all the laws in the New Testament as well. Anytime you see a law, it's given to us for one of three reasons. Because of our physical nature, because of our emotional nature, or because of our spiritual nature. Sometimes it's a combination of all three. Sometimes it's one or the other. So we start looking at Leviticus chapter 19 and look through some of these verses. You're going to see that some of them are addressed toward physical ailments. You have to remember something about physical ailments and physical phys physiology. That's not a word. Physical, all right, our physical bodies, okay? Our physical bodies, 3,000 years ago, we did not have pharmaceuticals. We did not have medicines. We did not have um, ERs. We did not have ways of healing ourselves 3,000 years ago. So when you look at some of these Old Testament laws, they were given to, to keep our bodies sacred, to keep them well, to keep them from illness. Don't eat certain things because it'll make you sick. Don't drink certain things because it'll make you sick. Don't do certain acts because it will make your physical body sick and you will decay and you will die. There are cultures all around the world that because of physical ailments have been wiped off the face of the earth, never to be heard again. The Mayans are one example of this. Nobody knows how they all disappeared. Some type of physical something happened and the entire culture was, dis was decimated. You can see that over in Thailand. 
Asian communities. Thousands of years ago, something happened, the entire civilization gone in the bleak of an eye, gone overnight because of physical things that happened. Some type of disease entered and it wiped them out. So God gave the Jewish people 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago certain laws that they had to take care of for their physical body. Some of it has to do with emotions. Now, we know we're emotional people, aren't we? And emotions are good. Emotions are something that God gave us to help us relate to Him, to understand Him more, understand each other, to make it through life, to make it day to day. We have emotions that make us feel great, and we have emotions that, man, they're heavy, and they hurt, and they're sad. We got all sorts of roller coaster of emotions. So you look at some of these Levitical laws, some of these laws in the Old Testament, they're given because of our emotions. God wants to protect our emotions. So you look back at chapter 18 and some of chapter 19, he talks about sexual sins. We know through psychology today that that affects physically, it affects us, as well as emotionally, it affects us or affects those who are in those areas. And then you get the spiritual aspect of it. You have to remember something that at this point in time, the gift of the Holy Spirit had not been given yet. And so these people are trying to draw close to God, be holy as God is holy. God's given them a command to be holy as He is holy before He gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. How fair is that? Huh? At least today, if I'm not a Christ follower, I have a choice to become a Christ follower. And at that point, I get the Holy Spirit of God who helps me live, be holy as God is holy. But even back then, they didn't have that. How difficult that was for them. To live a lifestyle of being holy, it really was in a lot of ways a checklist, a heart's cry desire to be closer and to know God more. And so if we look at that as a lifestyle of holiness. Pull up that definition one more time, Jesse. One perfect in goodness and righteousness. So now let's all go back. I want to look at Leviticus chapter 19. And I'm not going to have time to go through the entire the entire chapter and hearts were like, yay. Because that was my intent to go through verse by verse, but way too much material in such a short time. I just want to look at the first couple of verses again. Yehovah said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, Yehovah, your Elohim, am holy. And then as you look through chapter 19, Every sentence or two or three is ended with the same exact phrase. Because I, Yehovah, your Elohim, am holy. I, the Lord, your God, am holy. There's intention behind that. He could have just said in verse 2, Be holy as I am holy, because I am the Lord your God, am holy. And then do everything else after this because I'm holy. He could have said that. But his love and his compassion and his understanding of our finite minds that he helped create, that he created, understood that we needed to be told things over and over and over and over. Anybody with a child said, yes, that's agree. I, I hear you over and over and over because we're hard-headed. And we just don't get it. So he says, I want you to observe and I want you to follow and I want you to be through my set of standards, which causes us to make an intentional choice. So several years ago, 
I started wearing glasses. Now, I have two issues. I can't see far away very clearly, and I can't read up close. So I have the progressive lenses, which I can't stand because I have to do like this to see you, and then I have to look like this to read, and it's, it's very difficult. I actually have reading glasses that I use just for reading, and I have to understand something that I love to read. Now, I was a teenager once. I was even in my 20s. I hated reading, never, never enjoyed it, but something sparked over a number of years ago, and I just love reading, reading the Bible, reading godly material, reading things that are pointing me to my relationship with Christ, this holiness, this purity, this aspect. But in order for me to read and be able to see without my eyes hurting, I have to choose to put on my reading glasses or to put on my progressive glasses and actually read. I have to do it because I can read without this, and I can read, but I have to strain my eyes. You, you know what I mean? If you've got reading issues, you understand. I have to strain. I have to kind of do like this. I have to get it just right. And then if I do that for just a little bit of time, it starts to hurt. So I have to have my glasses on in order to read. But I can choose not to. I can choose not to wear glasses. I can choose just to look the way that I am and not worry about it and, and deal with it in my own way. But that affects my vision at night, long distances, and it affects my reading all the time. You see, we wear lenses all day, every day. It may not be physical lenses. It's not. It's spiritual lenses. See, the thing about spiritual lenses is we can't see them. You can't see the lenses that you have on right now that are spiritual. You have a, a spiritual lens based on the way that you were raised. You have, you have a lens based on your personality. You have a lens based on the culture, our culture here in the United States. You have a a lens based on your ethnicity. You have a lens based on whether you're a male or you're a female. You have a lens based on, I'm a senior adult, I'm a middle-aged adult, I'm a young adult, I'm a teenager, I'm a child. You have different lenses based on where you are in this world. You have a lens, if you grew up in church, that you have been wearing for many, many years. You have a lens based on the type of church that you go to. If it's a denominational church, if it's a Baptist, if it's Methodist, if it's Church of God, if it's Assembly of God, if it's Catholic, whatever it happens to be, you have that lens that, through which you read the Scripture and you study the Scripture and you apply the Scripture and you live it out day in, day out. But the problem with every single one of those lenses is those lenses are dirty. They're foggy. They're colored. And we don't see purely through them. So, as with me and my glasses, on a regular basis, I have to take them off and I have to cleanse them to make sure that what I see is pure. Because even right now, there's a glare everywhere just because of the fingerprints and, and whatever else is on, on my glasses at this moment. You see, we are called every single day to put on a lens of holiness. It's a choice. We can ask God to help us be holy, but if we choose not to put on the lens of holiness, we will not interpret Scripture, our lives, our actions through that lens. It's a choice. So this idea, clean hands, pure heart, and a resolute spirit, I can pray it all day long, but if I'm not intentionally putting on a lens of purity, if I'm not intentionally put on a lens of clean hands, if I'm not intentionally put on a lens of I want my life to be intertwined and one with the Holy Spirit of God, then we're lacking. So I can't be holy 
as he is holy, if I do not choose to walk in holiness. It is a choice that I make every single day that we make. Foundational. So as Pastor Jeff's out over the next 14 weeks or so, this is the essence. This is the foundation that we will be spending many, many, many every week talking about. It's the foundation of, being the, of, of understanding and walking in the holiness of God. Leviticus 19.2 is the theme verse for the next 14 weeks. Now, we're going to have different verses every single week, different live and share, but it's the essence of it. Be holy as God is holy. It is a command. Do you want more of God? That's an open-ended question. If you want more of God, what are the prerequisites that God has already given us to have more of Him? It's more than simply asking. I can ask God for more of Him every single day, but if I do not walk in wholeness and purity and integrity, He's not, there's no room for the wholeness of God. When I'm filled with myself, there's no room for the wholeness of God the holiness, and the purity of who God is. Guys, we're just about out of time. I, wanna, I just want to look at a couple of verses that I want, I want you to go back. So homework will be look at Leviticus chapter 19, but I want you to look at it not through a rules and regulations list. It's not do's and don'ts. It's not rights or wrongs. It's not, not a list of doing more of this and less of this. That's, I don't want you to look at that. That's our lens that we naturally gravitate to. That's the lens that we naturally go to, a checklist. Throw that list away for just a day, okay? And I want you to read Leviticus 19, and line by line, I want you to look at it through the lens of God. Let me help you do that. So we'll look at verse 3. So you'll see the first, verse 3 and verse 4, are ten commandments. Ten commandments have already been given. These, these are some that reiterate it. He says in verse 3, Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths, two of the Ten Commandments. And then what does he say? I am Jehovah, your Elohim. I am the Lord, your God. And so what he does there is that reminder. Okay, honor your mother, mother and father, obey my Sabbaths. But here, stop. Go back. Look at it again because I am your Jehovah, your Elohim. I am the Lord, your God. I am holy. See, this has to be viewed through the lens of holiness and the, the lens of love. They have to overlap. They have to go together. Because God is love. This overlapping, arching connectivity, love and holiness. So it's not a checklist of I'm supposed to respect mom and dad and I'm supposed to observe the, the Sabbath. It is I look at mom and dad the way mom, the way Elohim, my, uh, Jehovah my Elohim looks at me. I look at obeying his commands the way that he, is, that he is holy, therefore he has called me to be holy. It changes the lens. Verse, two, verse 4, do not turn to idols and make metal gods for yourselves. I am Jehovah, your Elohim. It's not about whether or not the, the idol is made out of metal. Well, he gives us free reign for pottery then or 
or food or something else here that we can, we can associate here. It's not about whether or not the, the, the idol meets up to what God's requirements are, what's idols and what's not, what's not idols. He says, I am Jehovah, your Elohim. That is the essence of all of it. So he tells us over and over and over. So when you read through this chapter, you're going to see one, two, three sentences. I am Jehovah, your Elohim. One, two, three. I am Jehovah, your Elohim. One, two, three. I am Jehovah, your Elohim. I am the Lord, your God. I am the one who is holy. Put on my lens of holiness and walk in holiness. I don't need a checklist of what I can do and I can't do if my heart and my mind are focused on God because I have the holy spirit dwelling within me. He dwells within us. And everything associated with him is accessible to us as Christ followers. Most of all, his holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Kevin's going to come up in just a second and and we're going to conclude our time this morning. And, you know, we think through, you know, what's what's the challenge? What do we do with this? Well, life is a holiness issue, isn't it? The decisions I make this afternoon deal with holiness. The decisions I dealt with yesterday deal with holiness. And so the reason that when we think about holiness and we pursue holiness and we chase after holiness and God reveals to us things in our lives that don't equal up to his holiness, that's a beautiful thing. It really is. And we carry it, we wear it, and and we don't like it. But the beautiful thing about that is it gives us an opportunity to confess it, to take it to the cross, to take it to him and say, God, I don't want this anymore. God, you revealed to me. I asked you to make me holy as you're holy. I asked you for clean hands, pure heart, and a resolute spirit. I asked him for more of you, and you revealed one, two, and three. These things in my life that are way out of scale, they're they're messed up, and, and they've taken over my life. And I don't want this mess anymore. I, I want to walk in holiness. I don't understand how to do it. I want to walk in purity, but I don't even know where to start. Start at the cross. When God reveals to you a sin issue in your life, you have one of two choices. You take it to the cross and you give it to Him, and it's washed as clean as snow. Or you continue to walk in it and live it and carry that weight which is unbearable. And you're not designed created to carry but we choose to carry it because we do not want to confess it guys a pursuit of holiness is a pursuit of purity is a pursuit of integrity is a pursuit of more of god in our hearts and our lives and if you don't want more of god in your heart and your life don't pursue holiness don't ask to be purified don't ask for more of him and i tell the teenagers on a regular basis he loves you so much you don't want him He's not going to give you more. But if you do, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you chase after him, he'll give you more, 
more than your finite mind can comprehend. Blow us away. So I know in a place like this, every single one of us deal with holiness issues on one level or another. Every single one of us. Notice I'm included in the every single one of us. Every single one of us deal with holiness issues. If it's in the past, it's in the past, period. Let it go. Fear, condemnation, regret, those are of the evil one. Take the sin, confess it as sin, say, God, I'm sorry, I don't want to do this anymore. Repentance is not giving it to God and going off and doing it again. Repentance is truly a story, uh, an example of walking this direction, giving it to God, and turning around and walking the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. So if that's the point in your life where you want to repent, say, God, I don't want this mess anymore. I want to give it to you. Wash it white as snow. Take this burden away from me and fill me with the Holy Spirit of God. More of you. Fill me with the indwelling of who you are. Fill me with more wisdom and knowledge and understanding of who you are. All of which are promises in the Old Testament and the New Testament that we see. If that's what you want, then walk in it now. Walk in it now. Because it's free and accessible. Because you have the gift of the Holy Spirit of God if you've said yes to Jesus. So this is the invitation time. We're going to pray. He's going to play. We're going to sing. I'm going to ask our prayer team that normally meets on the other side of the black cloth to come up here. A few of you anyway. Tara, I don't know who else is here. Bob's in the back. And guys, if you need prayer, please don't keep it to yourself. You can come up here to one of us. Find your neighbor. Find your spouse. Find a friend. Find somebody and say, I need some prayer. Our next concert of prayer, we're going to be talking about this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And what that actually looks like. Don't carry it by yourself because you can't. You're not designed. You're, you're designed to give it to God. Give it to Him. Let it go. Walk in purity. Walk in wholeness. Walk in forgiveness. To God be the praise and glory.